My name is Scott Harris. Welcome to the Dairy Dive Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about fall slump. Buckle up because we're diving deep. First of all, we hope we can try to educate you so you learn just a little bit, a little bit. My whole life's been dairy farming. Some days you wonder if I ever milk cows. It's kind of just in the blood around here. I don't know what it is, but we like livestock. Buckle up. The Dairy Dive starts now. Scott. Hi, Andrew. We are back. We are back. We're podcasting. We are. Welcome to the Dairy Dive, if you're listening. Uh, I'm Andrew Crabtree. I co-host this podcast along with the voice you heard earlier. Scott Harris. Sounded like a voicemail. Like, <laughs> leave a voicemail <laughs> Please, for. Yeah. Uh, sorry, the caller you're trying to reach is not able. Please leave a voicemail for Scott Harris. Yes. Well, this is going to be a very long voicemail, but we will record it. Um, it's, I don't know when people will listen to this. I can't control that. I know when we're recording this and it is now fall. It is fall officially, officially. And and I don't know what the weather was like in your part of the world listener, but here where we are recording this in Southern Illinois, summer held on to the very end and the last day of summer, it was like 98 degrees. And then the calendar switched to fall and it went from like 98 down to like 71. Yeah. Last Wednesday, last Wednesday here, it was hot. Hot, bro. Making, uh, but it's mellowed out. Yeah, it's nice. And it feel it's starting to feel the part of fall. It is. So it, it is. got it got me thinking. Um, and I've talked to a few people about this with the t- turn of fall. I I like fall. Uh-huh. I don't know that it's my favorite season, but it's it's up there. Of the four, it's high on the list. Yeah. Um, Scott, what are the things that you love about the calendar turning to fall? So I think probably the biggest things that come to mind for me is, well, I'm a salesman, so it's the start of the seed selling season. Seed selling season. It is. Say that five times fast. Seed selling season. Yep, that's all I got. Yeah. Um, So, no, now obviously that's business. But uh, so outside of that, when you talk about personal things, I I feel less guilty about uh, eating things like chili and soup. I love soup. And football. I mean, that's, that's it for me. I, you know, listener, I can tell you just from that statement that Scott Harris is an optimist, that he is still excited about football season all these years later. He's a Bears fan, and to still be excited about football, that's character building. I didn't say Bear football. Oh. I just said football. <laughs> just football. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, you mentioned soups. Do you think chili is a soup, by the way? Can no. We- you don't? No. See, I think it is. No. I cl- I would clarify chili as a as a subdivision of soup. I can't. I, I wouldn't put it in the same class, but uh, I love them both. There's not many soups I don't like. Um, I'm so I'm weird because I really like chili, but I'm not overly picky about it. Like you know, some people get all worked up about it. if it has chili's beans, like pizza. Like there's beans. no such thing as bad chili. Yeah, like if it has this, oh, it can't have this. Well, that's not chili. Like people get kind of worked <sighs> up about it. Like. Um, I just, I mean, I definitely have some chilies I like more than others. But sure. For the most part, I'm going to eat it because the worst case scenario, I'll just throw a bunch of cheese and crackers and and it'll be fine. It'll be fine. It's hot. Yeah, it'll be fine. What are your other favorite? I like potato soup a lot. I, you know, I, I a nice hearty, thick, creamy potato soup. So it's kind of weird because I'm not a big potato guy. Like I don't like mashed potatoes. You don't. Yeah, it's true. But I do like potato soup usually. Um, Put a little bacon bits on it. But I'm weird because I'm I like a potato soup that's a little more brothy. Hmm. Okay. Than necessarily the thicker, but I'll eat both. I like a nice thick one. Put some bacon bits in it, some cheese. 
Mm-hmm. Do it Bacon, up. Bacon, bitch, cheese, and pepper. You like candy corn? Nope. Not a, not a fan? Nope. I, I, I can't I, get behind I'm it. I'm okay. I, I could do without it, but I'm okay. I like it. You know, it's, it's one of those things that's like nice for a season. <clears throat> I just can't get behind it. But now uh, we are getting into here in southern Illinois a big time of the thing that happens here a lot during this time of year is a little thing called bonfires. Bonfires. I, I, now, that's a nice fall tradition. That's yep. lovely. Yeah, get your get your friends' favorite drink of choice, and uh, gather around, y'all. Gather around and burn some stuff, <laughs> and sometimes literally, it's literally burn like, some stuff. Like I've I think seen people burn couches. I like, think the last time you and I had a bonfire, there may have been some furniture just involved. Throw it. Nothing in. crazy, by the way. I want to make that clear, listeners. This was not like, hey, let's burn the couch. Yeah, we're not pyromaniacs. Like no, this we're was just, nuts. This was yeah. stuff that needed to be burned. Yeah. No, that's that is a good Midwestern fall tradition is the uh, the bonfire and the hayride. Mm-hmm. The hayride, yep. I'm yep. a fan of the hayride. For sure. So what are okay, so we've talked like what are some of the things that happen in agriculture seasonally? What's a fall agriculture thing? So right now we're the biggest thing is harvest obviously. So you're particularly for the, you know, a lot of our listeners would be dairy producers. Um they're watching their silage very close. Make sure they get the timing right. Um, to get that silage out of the field, we don't want to take it too wet. You don't want to take it too dry. At this stage, for most people, you're not going to take it uh, too wet probably this late. But you could in some, some parts of the country. But uh, really watching that window because unlike it would be in the summertime, you never know. Your GDUs can really vary per day at this stage. Um, cloudiness, heat, temperature, all these things are factors in that GDU calculation. So you've got to really watch. And every hybrid is just a little different. Some of them dry down much faster than others. So there'll be a lot of that. There'll be some, uh, once that's done, you'll have some fall application stuff. People putting down like uh, things like residue release to kind of break down some of that plant material that's left out in the field for the grain guys. And so a lot of activity. One of our core concepts at Master's Choice um is extending that har- harvest window and whether that's through management or hybrid s- genetics this is the time of year that that core concept of extended harvest windows becomes more important absolutely the the factor i mean the drier i don't care what company it is the drier your silage gets the less quality generally it's going to be and so you want to make sure you're taking it at that good moisture and finding that niche of uh, my my green moisture being at a certain level with my plant moisture being at a certain level um, too dry silage gets us a big problem with packing it and getting it in the bunker. Too wet silage can be the same thing. We have leak, leaking and leaching, um, and it's a lot, a lot of trouble. So really, getting in that window is much harder than we than we give it credit. And this is absolutely no knock on our friends in the uh, in the custom chopping business. We're we're good friends with some of those guys, and some of those guys carry our product. But um, when when you are relying on a custom chopper to uh, chop your silage, sometimes you are at the mercy of he can only get to one acre at a time, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And so often, you know, I, I say it during the, during certification trainings, you know, the, everything gets planted in the same two week window. So what does that tell you that's going to happen when things get harvested? It's going to be in the same two week window. And so when you have that, you have a timing issue and Uh, As you said, not a bash at all on our custom harvest friends. It's just the reality. Um, Someone's going to be late to the party, right? So uh, making sure you're using the right type of hybrids that can handle that um, stress or uh, environment is important. You recommend a guy, you know, of of his different fields, you know, like I said, you can only harvest one acre at a time. From a management standpoint, is there any value in potentially – 
staggering your uh, expected maturity ranges in among among your fields. Absolutely, and I think this does get done to an extent, but I think it could probably be done better. Um, I don't think uh, many times for a lot of companies they don't have the silage data of that kind of thing. They don't really even really talk to the grower about it. Um, and so I think that, you know, through your planning process, sitting down with your seed dealer, I mean, for our customers, you know, calling me, calling Jimmy or, you know, John Baker, one of those guys and saying, Hey, you know, what order do I need to put these in? Um, can make a big difference. Cause it might surprise you. It's, you can't just go by the date. You can't just go by maturity. Um, cause some of them may be a maturity class cause they require a certain amount of GDUs, but it might be, they slow down a lot at the end or something like that. And so, um, knowing the products well, knowing what to place when, um, this is just value, just as valuable as knowing where to place it as far as soil type, it, but it just doesn't get quite as much of attention usually. Okay. So extended harvest windows is one of our core concepts that's important this time of year. Um, Equally, or maybe even just a little bit more important than is another core concept where we talk about avoid the false slump or also known as feed first. So the false slump, right, is so I would actually say it's a dairy podcast. I'm assuming everybody knows what it is, but, you know, how would you just how would you define false slump just in case somebody out there listening is like, what are they talking about? Yeah, so false slump occurs whenever you get into your fresh corn silage. Now, for some of our listeners, we're going to have people maybe writing in the combine right or in the the uh, silage chopper right now that are taking that take is taking that silage to go dump it almost in straight into the feedlot. Um, and so, or, or at the very least they're going to maybe get two weeks or three weeks. And they know that when they do that, that milk production is going to be down. It's going to go down. And, and why is that? And the, so the kind of very long story short is it's starch availability is the biggest factor. So we, we look at a, a chart that we have with Cumberland Valley Analytical Services, and you can actually find that um, on our website in our nutrition summary or on our core concepts brochure. Um, and, and really what you're talking about, Andrew, is that starch, how much of that starch is actually fixed in the kernel and how much of it's actually available. And so that's what the fermentation process is, is essentially breaking down that starch. And so if I can start with more of it available from the very beginning, then I'm going to have more energy available and be able to have more starch that's actively in the diet. And so I don't take as big of a false slumps hit when it comes to using something with more starch availability. So we talk a lot at Master's Choice about about uh, starch characteristics and a softer starch kernel and more available starch. Um when we look at the false slump, uh, you, you re- okay? Well, you referenced the, the the chart from Cumberland Valley that we put together a few years ago. Um, generally speaking, correct the fiber availability uh, from hybrid to hybrid probably fluctuates less right out of the field than the starch. So the fiber, it's yeah. So well, so correct that a little bit. So it, it can be drastically different out of the field one hybrid to another. But what's what's not going to change is that fiber isn't going to become more digestible six months from now than what it the is. The fermentation right now. process is really for the starch. Correct. So this chart, um, and like he said, we, we'll try to put a link in the description of this podcast that'll send you to where you can view this. But twenty eight days from harvest, so less than a month, mm-hmm. um, the Master's Choice samples, and this was all hybrids averaged out. So every Master's Choice sample that Cumberland Valley took this year was at 75% starch availability at 28 days. Mm-hmm. Now, 
if you look at this if this chart, which you can't because this is an audio podcast, but if you were looking, there's a column here on the on the rest of the samples. So so Master's Choice is on one side, all Cumberland Valley samples are on the other. It took 105 days for the other you know samples other than the Master's Choice one to reach 75% starch availability. What what can that save somebody? So you're talking, you know, almost 80 days. Yeah. What's what is what can that save somebody? Um, saving them 80 days of you know needing that silage to ferment. Right. So I can't give you an exact dollar amount, obviously, because there's too many other factors there. You know, you talk about how much of the diet that they're currently feeding is their silage versus high moisture versus whatever else they have in that diet. But clearly, I think on average, most dairies report a 12 to 15 percent drop in milk production during the fall slump period. And Andrew, you're no, to be clear, you're not going to take all that away. It's, I mean, you can't completely uh, replace um, fermentation. But if you could even cut it but from, let's say, 20% down to 10%, um, that's substantial. You know, so you're taking, let's say, 100 pounds of milk uh, that they, let's say they have a, their cattle, their, this dairy average is 100 pounds of milk production, and you talk about 10, uh, let's just say 20%, so getting it down to 80 if you can take that and get it back up to 90 milk price today is at 1927 I believe according to Real Ag Market um so to about $19 per 100 weight it's a lot of money buy multiple cows you know take 500 800,000 2000 cows whatever it may be that are on milk um it's substantial now I'm going to ask you a question that I know the answer to but I feel like it's a good question for the purposes of discussion Okay, we talk about a master's choice hybrid being more starch available right out of the field. Does that mean that the fermentation process is of no value to a more starch available hybrid? It's a great question. Do you want to answer it since you asked it also? (laughs) No, I want you to answer it. (laughs) So uh, absolutely not. Fermentation process is is essential for what you do. Uh, Processing is essential. Um, You know, we have dealers, we have customers who – Say I don't even process my master's choice because it's so available, and that, like I, I that's fine. You can do that, but I don't generally recommend that. I still believe in processing. I still believe um, in you know taking fermentation. But where it is beneficial, Andrew, is okay. So I don't. Let's just say I don't want to tie up all my acres with a particular brand, or I don't want a certain type. I want to use a BMR, for example. Um, on your operation, you say, I don't want my whole farm to be BMR because of maybe some of the challenges, but I'd like for part of it to be, well, it's actually a pretty great scenario being quite honest, because you can then put in master's choice, make sure it's your last planted, make sure or it's your first planted, make sure it's your first one that you take out. And that way you're getting, you know, or, you know, last one you take out is what you really ideally want because you want that, that BMR going in first. You want it to ferment as long as possible because it's traditionally going to be a, a harder grain. Um, and most of your other products are going to be a harder green, and then you're going to put your master's choice in last. And as the dealer or as the salesman, I'm putting myself in the worst possible scenario because I'm the one that's going to get fed first, so it's going to look like milk production is going to go down. But actually, I'm giving the farm the best benefit of my product. Yeah, that's the best value on farm. Even even you know, we would love for everybody to plant master's choice after it's been fermented for three months because it's going to look like a rock star. But when we actually talk about what's best for your farm. <laughs> That may not 
be the best way to utilize it, even though it doesn't make us look on a feed test as stellar as, as is, you know, it, it's potential. Yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, it's, it's knowing how to best place your products and that, I mean, that's key. And so if I, like I, I, we don't sell BMRs. I don't have a single BMR in the, in the master's choice or in the Rob Seco lineup. There's no BMRs. Um, but I'm not, I'm not foolish enough to sit here and act like BMR isn't good stuff. Um, because it does have some value and there is some good stuff. There's just a lot of challenges to it too. And so if you're just convinced you absolutely have to have it, um, here's a way to manage around it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, false lump. It's not fun. It's, <laughs> it's, it's a, there are, there are fun parts of fall, but this is the one that is an actual legitimate, uh, uh, it's a challenge for dairy farms. Absolutely. It, it turns into a lot of dollars and, and the, you know, most dairies just generally say it's going to happen. So I just deal with it. Yeah. Most, I mean, I'm not saying I haven't been on a couple of dairies that do, but most dairies aren't two years out on, on corn silage fermenting. So being able to have an option for, you know, when things start to look a little short and you're thinking, I am going to have to feed fresh corn silage, having these master's choice hybrids with the starch availability that they do, um, it can, it can be a lifeline. Well, but even in that scenario, Andrew, and we don't, you know, we we really need to work on this, put this into some actual dollars. But what could it look like, dairyman, if you are if you are carrying two years worth of corn silage? What if you only carried a year, or what if you carried even less than that? Now, granted, I I'm, I'm very cautious when I say that because I sure don't want somebody to have a failure crop failure one year um, and have nothing to feed. Um, Because that's a nightmare scenario too. But but, I think your point is, what could we invest in on our dairy? Yeah, if we weren't having to carry two years worth of corn silage. Yeah, you're tying tying up anywhere from depending on the region of the country, thirty to sixty dollars a ton um, of silage. And if you've got uh, you know twenty five tons to the acre, and you've got a thousand acres worth of corn silage sitting in there. I don't math real good. <laughs> it's a lot, but it's a lot of dollars yeah. um, that you're that you could free up for your operation if you're in the right kind of scenario. And so, uh, just something to keep in mind, um, even for you large producers that maybe are maybe really size doesn't necessarily part of it. It's just for those that do have excess inventory, you might be able to do something different there and, and rethink the way that you're doing that and actually free up some capital money. I like it. I like it. No, it's not going to make uh, fall, uh, the challenge of the fall completely go away. But I think that those things that we can do to uh, just take big problems and make smaller problems out of them, I think can still go a long, long way for a dairyman. Absolutely. Yeah, you you win it. You kind of win this war with, with little battles, right? Absolutely. So um, this is one way to do that. Well, we thank you for listening to The Dairy Dive. If you uh, if you liked anything you heard, I would really urge you to subscribe. Uh, and I would hope that you would leave us a review. And I would hope even farther, and maybe I'm just getting greedy, but maybe you'd leave us a five-star review. Wow. Yeah. I mean, we're worth it. Have you reviewed the podcast? We're five. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Is that cheating for us to review our own podcast? We, I mean, no, our opinion, we all get one vote. Yeah. Everybody gets a vote. Leave us a review. Uh, that's how we can get uh, recommended to your friends and their feeds. Uh, and then always, as always, check us out on uh, social media. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram, uh, YouTube. Uh, communicate with us. If you like anything you heard, let us know what you think. Or if you've got any questions, uh, you can feel free to reach out through social media or through our website, seedcorn.com. Thank you. <laughs>
Goodbye. <laughs>